Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber White. Hey, you guys, welcome back. Did you miss me? (laughs) It's been a couple of weeks, but I am back with another amazing episode and story to share. Speaking of, do you want to share your story or do you know someone else who does? If so, there are plenty of ways to reach me. You can find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast or on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can also email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com or listen anywhere you already listen to podcasts or by going to www.artofadoptionpod.com. We are going to get right into the episode. Today's guest was born in New Mexico to a young couple who, for one reason or another, decided to place their baby boy for adoption. He doesn't know much about his biological family, but as you will hear, he considers himself one of the luckiest to have been placed in the loving arms of the forever family that chose him. Here is Justin. I live in central Pennsylvania, a little town called Williamsport, which is the birthplace of Little League Baseball. So every year, the Little League World Series is played here, um, which is the only time that anyone ever knows or hears about Williamsport. He's not lying. (laughs) I had never heard of it, but now I am very intrigued to check it out. I work for this small liberal arts college called Lycoming College, and I teach uh, criminal justice and criminology. Ah, okay. Clearly, he and I have so much more to discuss, but that's for a different podcast. Back to why we are here. I was born at Presbyterian Hospital in Albuquerque, New Mexico, August 23rd, 1980. Um, My biological mom was 16 years old. My biological dad was 19 years old, was 19 years old. I don't know much about them. The adoption was closed, but the agency did collect some information that they passed along to my parents. So I have kind of these like tantalizing tidbits about who they were, at least as teenagers. I guess really, to be honest, like I oftentimes forget that I was even adopted. Um, It's not something I really think about all the time. It's not something that's like always in the back of my mind, even. Oftentimes, I don't really even think about it until somebody brings it up or I see something or hear something that's like, oh, yeah, I am adopted or uh, and I meet another adoptee who says something and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm adopted too. And we have this kind of instantaneous connection. So I've, I've also never really had a burning desire to find out who my biological parents were. And I feel like that's kind of counter to what people want me to feel. So the first question I always get asked when somebody finds out I'm adopted is if I've looked for my biological parents. And I feel like it's a very um, disappointing answer when I say, no, I'm not really interested in finding them. And then the second question is kind of like, 
why? It's like, aren't you curious? And my answer is no, I'm, I'm really not. Like I, I have a family. I have a mom and a dad and a sister. And that's, that's all I've ever known. So I don't think of the thing I never knew of, if that makes sense. I don't desire to know something that I, I have really no experience of. You know, I never, I don't have any memories of them. So I just don't really think about it. I asked him how being adopted has affected him in his life, if at all. I always grew up in a family where I always felt very much a part of not only my immediate family, but my extended family. Like from day one, I was a Medina through and through. My cousins, my aunts, my uncles, my grandma, they never treated me any different than any of my other relatives. In some ways, I kind of think it was meant to be because I remember as a little kid, people coming up to us in the grocery store, like friends of my parents, you know, they'd run into somebody at the grocery store and that they hadn't seen in a long time. They'd be like, oh, this is your son. And my dad and mom would be like, yeah. And the next comment was always like, oh, he looks just like Vince, my dad. And for me, I never looked, I I mean, I literally look like my father's son. In fact, we kind of, my friends and I joke that like maybe he, I actually was his son and they just like on this whole story, (laughs) but I'm not. And, um, but I look like them and I have like traits, like, like kind of like character traits similar to the Medina's. And so for me, it's almost like it was meant to be like, I was always meant to be in this family. I think like a part of me doesn't want to actually know the truth because this is my truth and it's always been my truth. And I'm happy with that. My parents always told me, they're always very honest about me being adopted. So one of the earliest memories I have of them telling me was, I was probably like four or five years old. And I'm remembering this, so it's very hazy, so I don't know how accurate it is in my mind. But but I remember her telling me about the adoption creed and in my mind's eye, I remember it actually being something that they had printed and hanging on the wall in their bedroom. And she like pointed to it and read me the adoption creed. The adoption creed is this, not flesh of my flesh, nor bone of my bone, but still miraculously my own. Never forget for a single minute, you did not grow under my heart, but in it. So she read that to me and she was like, do you understand that? And I remember like my mom being very like nervous, even though I didn't really know what nervous was at four or five years old, but her just being like more formal and like tense and her explaining like what it meant that they chose me and that I wasn't, that I didn't come, you know, out of her body and how special that was and how different that made me. And so they, in that way, they always like made me feel special that I was chosen, that they they chose me, and I always loved them more for that.
Like he mentioned, his adoption is closed, but oftentimes the agencies have a book or a binder of information that they will send home with the forever family. Sometimes these books are littered with information, and sometimes there's just not a lot. Some of the information growing up, I did have questions, and my parents kept this book that I think was like part of their like adoption process, so like a lot of their notes and journals and stuff in it. So occasionally I'd pull it out and I'd ask questions about it. And so I learned that my, said my biological mom was 16. My dad was 19. She was in high school. He hopefully was not in high, graduated at that point, but I don't know anything about their relationship or who they were. I know that one of them was Hispanic, whatever that means. And one of them was white, whatever that means. One of the things that they did tell me, and I don't know how they knew this, was that my mom's parents, my biological mom's parents, were both college professors. And it's just so weird that I ended up being a college university professor. I don't know if there's any correlation to them being professors and me being professors, but I just find it very interesting that I ended up being in a career field that is exactly the same as my biological family. I mean, I always think about, you know, like what discipline they were in or are in. I don't know. I don't even know how old they would be right now, but, you know, like, have I met them? Did I read like articles by them? Like, did I have them as a professor myself? Like that's some, those are some of the thoughts that I've thought about. Genetics play a bigger role in all of this than we know. I've been looking into epigenetics for a couple of years now, and Johnny and I talk about it often. I'm in contact with an expert on epigenetics, and I hope to get her on the podcast someday so she can go deep on the subject and how it affects adoptees specifically, both good and bad, and how we, as adoptive parents, can assist our babies in thriving when those ties are cut off. A few years ago, I did a DNA, like an Ancestry.com genealogy thing, because I was curious about the, you know, I was labeled white and Hispanic. So I wanted to know more about that. What I didn't realize was that with Ancestry DNA was that they actually connect you to people that you match with. And I didn't know that. I thought they just give you your genetic, like, background. I did that. It turns out that I'm actually not Hispanic. Um, I'm actually French and English. But I started getting all of these connections to my biological family, and some of them were close. And one in particular was an immediate family member. And I ignored it because I'm not really interested in meeting them or really knowing too much about them. But I was curious. So I looked into the connections that it gave me, and a lot of them were from Maryland. It's, it's just kind of funny, again, kind of going back to that nature versus nurture, like my family were, or at least my grandparents, were professors from the East Coast. And I ended up being a professor living on the East Coast. Like I left New Mexico and moved to the East Coast for no reason. Like I don't have any ties to the East Coast at all. But I do. It turns out that I do. And I didn't even know it. As we were talking, Justin did remember that not everyone was so supportive of him and his sister in their forever family. He talked about those experiences. 
so not everyone was supportive in my family. I kind of make it made it sound that I was immediately kind of accepted by all of the Medina families. I did have a grandfather, my dad's dad, who never really accepted my sister or I as Medina's, I guess. It was very obvious as a child, like he would get everyone else gifts, like cousins that were the same age as my sister and I, but he wouldn't get us gifts or he would want to have like birthday parties or acknowledge their birthday, but he would never really acknowledge ours. And by the time I was 14, I, that was the last time I ever saw him. Well, it wasn't the last time I saw him. It was the last time I spoke to him. Uh, I actually did run into him at a grocery store a few years ago, and he actually walked past me and didn't had, had no idea who I was. And it made me feel sad for him, to be honest, because you know my dad broke his relationship in part because of, of his kids, his adopted kids. And it's just so sad that like he never gave us the chance for something really seeming to me very petty and minuscule is like, do we have the same DNA? It was subtle at first. Like I remember he would give us gifts, but they were always like so much cheaper and lousier than like everyone else's gifts. And then eventually he just stopped giving us gifts and he stopped acknowledging our birthdays. And I know I still don't know why I've always wanted to ask him why, but yeah, like life goes on, you know, I don't, that was his loss. I think that's a great way of looking at it as his loss because adoption comes with stigmas attached to it. And especially with the older generations, this does happen with those extended family members oftentimes but not always. But on the other side, my dad's mom, my grandma, that's probably one of the people I'm closest to. I've always been very close to my grandmother. She never treated me any different than any of my other cousins. Justin really has such a unique take on how adoption has shaped, really, every aspect of his being. I hadn't heard a take on it like this before. You know, a part of this adoption story, I think, is like being okay with who I am as a gay man, that's a part of it was I was okay being adopted. And so it helped me being, be okay being a gay guy as well. And the last person I ever told about being gay was my grandma. And I remember very clearly, this was just a couple of years ago, Camilo, my husband and I had gotten engaged we told my parents, we told his parents, we told everyone. We started planning a wedding that was going to be in Santa Fe in 2017. The last person I had to tell was my grandma. And I hadn't told her yet. I was afraid to tell her. I was scared to death to tell her. And a part of me already knew that she knew. Like, my family's very gossipy. Like, I knew she already knew, but she never heard me say it. And that was big for me. It was the last person to that I was hiding a part, a big part of me from. Such a wonderful delight For Give up everything So I remember going home before the wedding and I was my mom was telling me, like, you have to tell her. Like, I mean, you're gonna invite her to the wedding. You have to tell her she's going to like, everyone's going to go to this wedding. She's going to wonder what's going on. Right. And so I went to her house and I, it was 
after the whole Supreme Court case that legalized gay marriage and I was sitting there and I decided to ask her about it as kind of like a litmus test to see how she would react to that. And I remember just sitting in her kitchen table and I asked her about the Supreme Court case. And I'll remember like her response, I think for the rest of my life. And she was basically said, why does the government care what people do? Just leave them alone. Just let them marry who they want to love or let them love and get married. And it was like this weight was lifted. And I was able to tell her, I was like, Grandma, I'm getting married. And she already knew. I mean, it wasn't a surprise, but I had to do it for myself. Hold you in my arms, won't let go. The world around could pass us by. And she, she was at her wedding. And we have a great picture of her and my husband and I. And, you know, she was at a reception and she danced. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And she's never had any problems. And now she calls us both her hito. Mi hito is Espanol for my hito. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a term of endearment that someone will give, meaning my boy or my son. I decided to jump back a bit and I asked Justin how he feels about his adoption being closed or how he feels about open, closed adoption in general. I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. I, I mean, I can only really speak to my own experience about open or closed adoptions. Like I said, I'm very happy with my life and how my life turned out. And I think I lucked out in many ways with the parents I, who adopted me. But I think every situation's different. So I don't know if there's like one bright answer for all adoptions. I think there's some, I, I, you know, I work in the criminal justice system. So there are instances where I see it is probably in the best interest of the child and their future to be permanently separated from their parents. I see that. I mean, I see the cycle of addiction, the cycle of violence and cycle of poverty that can perpetuate unless something drastic is done to break it. So in those cases, you know, I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with closed adoptions. And then there's other cases where, you know, People change, people grow, people clean up, people you know, get their lives together. Should they have a right to be in their child's life at that point? I don't know. It's not really for me to say. There's no good way to like create a rule for it because it is so case by case specific. I know from my experience, it was just kind of like, I'm out of one family permanently and forever and I'm in another family with the closed, unless, you know, I, I initiate something, go find them or whatever. But for the most part, it's kind of like you're out of that family and placed in another, and it's like this whole new life context without any kind of connection to the past or your other family, biological family. And there's something, I don't know, like maybe it's like simplistically too, maybe it's too simplistic, right? When we're talking about humans, like, cause we're all kind of, we're messy. We have emotions and ties and feelings. 
right? And that might be too simplistic to think. So, I mean, I feel like the shades of different varying shades of open adoption make sense. I agree with him, actually. I consider all of our adoptions open. However, each has varying degrees of contact with each bio family member, and those boundaries have been placed with a purpose. Justin said that his parents never made it a big deal. I mean, he felt special because of it, but... Growing up, like, my childhood was, like, really normal. Again, my parents told me about it as early as I could understand, but they never made a big deal about it. So it wasn't like I was constantly reminded I was adopted or that I was constantly reminded that they, like, chose me and that I was special. They told me, and I felt special, but it wasn't, like, a big... It was just like a piece, a small piece of who I am. Yeah, I mean, it was a very normal childhood for the most part. I mean, you were part of it. Indeed I was. I have known Justin and his family for well, 25 years or so. <laughs> we would visit them in New Mexico and have such a blast. Some of mine and my sister's favorite memories are from our time spent with Justin and his sister in Santa Fe. And one time we decided to go cruising around in his car and jammed out to some amazing music. <laughs> hey, Justin, remember this song? <laughs> Bone thugs and harmony. Oh my God. I like, I just, I'll never forget that night of. <laughs> like running around listening to this like super dark bone thugs and harmony music. <laughs> we were so awesome. Anyways, go on, Justin. So, I mean, that's what it was. I mean, it was just, it was normal. It was us as a family. And um, to be perfectly honest, I was like a huge homebody. Like I, I like did not want to leave home ever. And I think my par parents got like sick of it and forced me to go on like several trips when I was in junior high and high school because they're like, you've got to get out, kid. So they sent me on trips and that actually, I think, unbeknownst to them, like really sparked this kind of like wanderlust in me. But I think, again, a lot of it comes from like my confidence to do the things that I wanted to do with my life came from adoption. And the fact that like I could have this experience even though I had no control over it, where I was put in a completely different circumstance from the one that I was born into. It made me realize that I have a lot of autonomy and power to do what I want to do and make my life what I want to make it. And I did. We've talked about it a bit, but Justin does have one younger sister whom was also adopted at birth. He recalled what that experience was like for him. So my sister, Melissa, is also adopted. Uh, we're not biological brother and sister. But I was old enough to remember her adoption and to be a part of it. And they very much made me a part of that process, which I look back on fondly. I remember going to the adoption agency to pick her up. And I was the first person to hold her, actually. And there's a picture of me in the adoption agency holding my new baby sister, beaming ear to ear, like so happy that I'm meeting her for the first time and we got to bring her home and it was just like so exciting. And I could 
it was like at that moment that I, I understood why my parents did it. I think even though I was like super young, I got it. Like I got like the same joy that they had. I really can't like talk about my adoption story without mentioning Camillo as part of my support system. So we met at Temple University about six years ago and we got married last year in 2017. And, you know, we're best friends. We do everything together um, and we both hope to start a family. So we have very similar kind of like values and background, which I'm sure is one of the reasons why we were attracted to each other. The thing is, is that we both went to college and we both have student loans and we've both talked about finances. And I don't know if there's ever like, you know, the perfect time to have a kid or to plan for a kid, given the luxury that we can do that. But we do want to work on paying off our student loans. So I guess kind of as a side note, we actually document our debt free journey. And the reason we started our debt-free journey is we have a goal of paying off our student loans by 2020, and then we will start the adoption process at that point. We actually have a, a fairly large Instagram following. We've been part of this community. We document our debt-free journey. Our Instagram handle is The Budget Guys. That is The Budget Guys. Go find them on Instagram and give them a follow. Even if you aren't in a lot of debt, but maybe you want to learn about ways to save money or pinch pennies or expand a small budget so that you can save up for, oh, I don't know, an adoption maybe? <laughs> they give such great tips and advice and encouragement there. So again, go check them out, The Budget Guys. I will also post a link in the show description. You're the rose in a garden. Justin has had such a wonderful overall experience when it comes to his adoption story. I wondered what was the hardest part for him, if any. I think one of the most challenging parts about being an adoptee is the feeling of abandonment that can creep in sometimes. So not so much now, but in my early 20s, when I was really like kind of like trying to find myself and, you know, I wasn't finding a lot of answers in like church or just like normally where I would turn to about like myself and accepting myself. Um, I, you know, I started thinking a lot about like, why did my mom give me up? Like, did she not love me? Did she not want me? Did she, why didn't she fight for me or to keep me? And those, I think those feelings can really be um, corrosive and start to really kind of eat away at who you are. So it's important to have a strong support system. I mean, I've always been lucky enough to have a very close relationship to my parents and my sister and my friends and Camillo and people around me. I was able to rely on them and, you know, kind of work out those like angsty teen, 20, early 20 kind of feelings. But I don't have those feelings really, but sometimes every once in a while that thought will creep into my mind. Another one that I find more practical is just medical history. So I know in your last, last podcast, that lady mentioned that. Like, I have no idea if I'm prone to heart disease or cancer or 
whatever. It's all just kind of like a very sad medical surprise when it happens. And what, I asked, would he change about it all if he could? Here are his thoughts. To make adoption normal, right? Like not make it weird, not make it like this stigmatized thing, not, and not make a big deal out of it either. And this is where I asked him for his, could you not? But now, being a professor and all, he started off by saying... Actually, I, I dig intellectual curiosity. I think you can pretty much ask me anything about it. However, as we wrapped up the interview, he did have an interesting follow-up. We talked about this earlier, but he went into a lot more detail here. This was a first for me, and it was really an eye-opener. And as we close, I think it will be for you as well. No, so like this is the thing that bothers me, is that I feel like there's this kind of like predisposition to like I should as the adoptee I should be curious about who my parents my biological parents are and if I'm not then there's like something like wrong and I'm just like not like I'm just not really that interested I never have been and I feel like when people hear that it's like a very unsatisfying answer to them and they kind of dig like as if they're like looking for some like you know kind of like deep dark secret that I'm like hiding or you know I don't know I don't some reason why like I don't have this like biological urge to find my mom I I think a part of it is just because that's kind of how we're expected to think that like the natural order of things is like biological mom biological kid biological family and when that's broken up the natural order of things is to put those units back together It doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Like, families come in many shapes and forms. The best part is having something unique about me. Um, I feel like it's, I don't know, it just, it makes me feel unique and different than most people, which I actually like. Like, it does make me feel weird. It makes me feel good that I have this unique story to tell. Don't let anybody tell you you're not enough. There are days when we don't feel like we're messed up. That is great. And thank you for sharing it with us, Justin. And thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Do you have a comment or a question about today's episode? Great. You can find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast or on Instagram at Art of Adoption Pod. You can also email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com. Or if you want to leave a comment or have a question about anything you heard today, you can leave a message by calling 720-722-2839 and you may hear your question answered on the show. The theme song, Forever Home, was written and produced by my friend David Other. Find him on Facebook or at davidother.com. Artwork, production, and editing of this show is done by me, Amber Way. Tune in next time for another unique story. And please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. And if you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends. And please rate and review me on iTunes, hopefully with five stars. 
And remember, family is not defined by your genes. It is built and maintained through love. I hope you all have a fantastic week. Goodbye.